Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Hello and welcome to the Art Gallery of South Australia's Lunchtime Talk Series. My name is Lee Robb and I am joined today by artist Troy Anthony Bayliss. Hello. Good morning. I'd like to acknowledge that we're holding this talk in situ in your exhibition space in the vestibule of the gallery and we're meeting on Ghana land and to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Indeed. I second that. We're in the vaulted 19th century gallery space of the Art Gallery of South Australia and we're surrounded by two impressive bodies of work by Troy Anthony Bayliss. Troy Anthony, you're the inaugural recipient of the Guildhouse Fellowship and part of that took you to Berlin. Can you tell us a little bit about, a bit about the background of the fellowship and then we might move into discussions around your, your broader practice? Yes, yeah, so it was obviously such a, a huge thing for me to receive that, that fellowship. I'm so very grateful to everyone involved and I, I, I really did put a, a lot of work and a lot of thought into that application. I really kind of dug deep inside myself really to think deeply about you know where I am in my career and what I want to do with my life and really kind of focus on what was important to me ethically and creatively as an artist and what I could could do with that so after being to Berlin probably I think 10 or 11 maybe 12 times in the past it, it was just for a few days here and there sometimes a, a a week, maybe two at the most, and the fellowship allowed me to go there for a little over two months. During that that two months, I really got to be able to immerse myself in my ideas and and really kind of uh, allow myself time for for I guess all of the the thoughts and knowledge I've been gradually building up from that toing and froing from from Adelaide to Berlin. Yeah, I just just was able to to really build on that and 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 take some time to focus on making some work about that. Yeah, and re reflect on your practice and process as an artist. And you have moved around a lot, and you often talk about your, um, I guess, your conjoined heritage being from the Jawan people of the Northern Territory, but also having Irish ancestry being born in Sydney, but growing up and having your formative years in Brisbane as an artist before moving to Adelaide. And, you know, were you reflecting on some of those those histories as well as an artist or how you came to, to be an artist? I always think that that's sort of an important question. You know, what was the turning point for you? Where were you? How did you, how did you come into that space? Yeah, I, th I think the translocations of my, my living and my growing up is absolutely important to my, to my work and my thinking. I, I think that kind of mixedness, in, in many ways, I think that's kind of where things are at. I think even when we do, you know, degrees and studies, once we, we, we do, you know, postgraduate study or study in a different area, we, we find kind of new ways in, or new connections to be made through those seeming disconnections. So I guess with me there is that idea of, of being a descendant of the coloniser and the colonised, of being from of mixed appearances and mixed geographies and even you know mixed mixed sexualities, and 
all of those kind of things, I guess kind of, yeah, those, not that my work is exclusively about identity, but I think those experiences have, have enabled my, my thinking to, to, well, it's actually questioned my thinking and it's enabled my thoughts to be able to, you know, to, my art to be able to work through that and, and produce something which I hope kind of has some uniqueness about it, even though, I, you know, it does relate to things. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess you've very articulately described even how that has come into your practice and uh, around making and stitching things together, weaving things together, perhaps even reconciling certain histories. And looking behind you, I can see on the wall um, four incredible works which are part of your new series called Nomenclatures and these were made after your residency in Berlin and were informed in part by by your your time there but specifically going to the 1917 Nomenclature Act of South Australia so yeah, yeah I, and I, maybe let's let's just describe what what the the works are for for a start. They're 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 works that are woven together on secondhand Holland blinds. Yes, yes, secondhand Holland blinds initially. And look, to, just to that idea of of the name nomenclatures. Mm. So nomenclatures is you know it's the naming of things, and and I, in many ways, I think it's a really important way for me to think about things and put put my identities sort of in perspective because I suppose the, the naming of things and maybe more specifically the, the labelling of mm. things is what kind of gets very difficult to, to navigate. Mm. So, you know, when, we're, when we're, we're called, you know, Australian or, or we're called, you know, by our gender or, you know, there's particular expectations, cultural expectations about, you know, how we should behave, what we should do, what we should look like. And so, yeah, nomenclatures seem to be a nice, a good segue to, to thinking about, you know, how we name things and how problematic yeah, they can be. And thinking and, about and, those. And how also, how liberating they also are too. So it's not all, you know, negative, um, but it's that kind of, it's, it's finding that, that language in the, or a balance in those things. So, yeah, the, the Holland blinds seemed a, a, a useful material, partly because when I began this journey, I was interested in blinds in particular, because blinds, you could have private spaces, mm-hmm. public spaces, if you opened them up, they had t- double sides to them. They demarcate a space, they can be open and closed. Yeah, all of that. So that was kind of my starting yeah. point in terms of the material. Mm. And so... Um, not that I had too many predeterminations about what I was going to make, but that was kind of my starting point. And, you know, and the shape that I was going to make, interestingly, is the shape of the architecture of the, this, the ceiling here. I was going to make an, an installation that you would walk in and it, it you know, does all of that. And then, of course, I, being ironically being in Germany, noticing, you know, what's drawing attention to what's right in front of my face all the time in South Australia is this is that some of our place names are in German language or named after German people and knowing that some of those places were at some stage anglicized if you like and and vice you know and vice versa so yeah so it just it was a sort of you know eureka moment if you like yeah. and I, I just um so yeah, you just, started researching some of the the place names you know for example you know Bloomberg which is now 
uh, Birdwood. Birdwood. Birdwood, yeah. And so is on Paramount Country. Yeah, that's right. And um, and it was fairly easy to find actually because because once I I, I looked into um, some of those those places, mm. it soon led me to the Nomenclature Act, and then of course that is available in Hansard, so I could literally find the Act. Mm. That, that made those those changes, and those changes just happened in South Australia. So, so that process of, of renaming happened all over the country, but m- predominantly in South Australia. And South Australia actually had an act to to do that, and it also had an act to be able to undo that and so, in 1935. Yeah. So I've kind of you know, um, so that act was really kind of useful. And also, I guess coming back to you know discourses around power and control and the. Uh, what's in a name and the the power of of naming and also comes back to ideas around uh, around sovereignty and place and ownership and territoriality so you've 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 painted one name onto the blinds that for example being uh, Bloomberg and then in a in a teal and then in a, another color in blue you've painted the words birdwood and then you've cut through them, is that right? And in slices and then woven them together again. Yes, yeah, yeah. so, so one is in, in long slices and one's in short slices and they're, they're literally yeah, the woven back together. Yeah. yeah, the warp and that weft is, is kind of holds that tension. Mm. So that, that naming is, is the mark or demarcating mm. of things. Or you know, So I kind of wanted to have all of those markings and I guess in a sense to celebrate them all of equal value because they're just names, you know, and the names that these locations were named after are also real people <laughs> as well. It's not just, oh, this is a German name. This is from a, a person who had a German name who, by all intents and purposes, did really great things in South Australia. Yeah. And for them to be erased through a, a war that probably had nothing to do with them I, I wanted to kind of reconcile that in a, a similar vein to a lot of unresolved issues that hopefully we, you know, we're working together as a people's movement to reconcile. Um, but yeah, I could simply do that with these these places and their their, their namings. Yeah, well, the you know the works are really powerful in how they perform that, both in terms of the the tension in that history i guess of naming and renaming but you've you've literally sort of cut through those and then undone to then remake and as you look at them you know the names come to the surface and then disappear again and so there's that uh, that optical push and pull and then over the top you've embroidered the the words of the aboriginal nation in which that town or um or place uh, currently stands yes Yes, and I, I think um, you know that they, they, in a sense, there's a, there's a maybe a ghostliness, there's a here and thereness mm. to yeah. the work, if, if that's such a such a thing, and uh, yeah, an omnipresence, and and it's, I guess it's resulted visually in this kind of these graphics where, in a sense, a new kind of textuality kind of starts to come through. So so that's kind of a a, a nice result of that. Um, play. Yeah, and also, uh, uh, you know, that that weaving together of of difference and of shifting histories, and but but I like how then it's all bound together. I mean, you, if you're working the needle and the thread through the image and through the work, and 
overriding it by the, you know, we're looking at the work where you've got an orange Klemzig and then green Gaza and then over the top in black embroidery Ghana country. You know, we talked about it as, you know, you could perhaps read it as a, as a form of typographic decolonisation. Yeah, indeed, I love that term. So, um, yes, that, that, thank you. Um, and, yeah, it, I'm not really quite sure what else to say about that individual work, but, you know, again, those, those colours are kind of both jarring yet somehow resolved at the mm. same time. You know, there's that thing, you know, pink and green should never be seen, not that it's pink and green, but, you know, I think these kind of supposedly opposing colours actually can work beautifully and, you know, that's just another, you know, cultural assumption that, you know, or cultural idea that, you know, you can't put certain colours together and, of course, you can. Yeah. And, you know, in the future is more colourful and more blended, I think, you know, so... <laughs> the future is rainbow blue, <laughs> yes. rainbow colour. But um, before we go to your um, other body of work that, that you made recently for this exhibition for nomenclatures, there's um, an important body of work that you have consistently returned to since 2010, which is the Postcard series. And it's an incredible group of works where you've used glow mesh or faux mesh. Tell us about these uh, these extraordinary works. Okay, cool. So I I, I made my first glomesh. Oh, it's a foam mesh with the very first one. So so foam mesh means it's not actually glomesh material. And and, and that idea of a company that started in Sydney. It did start in, in Sydney. Nineteen fifty-eight. Yes, nineteen fifty-eight. Yeah. Bingo. And it's it's uh, re-established itself as a business of late. So so glomesh as a material is um has become increasingly expensive. So when I, I started the work, it, it I, I could find the materials or the you know the bags much less expensively in in secondhand stores. And and I, I you know I love going to secondhand stores to you know for the hunt, but also to learn about culture through curios. Mm. Um, you know, sort of like a, 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 an art gallery, really. Just, you know, um, it's also a, a museum. It just shifts and doesn't, things aren't, aren't kept. But, yeah, uh, I love shopping in that, in that regard. So the postcard um, series, one of the first ones you did was, is called uh, Tubella from Cherry. And, on, and it's uh, red on black. And it, see, the shape of it seems to mimic the... Uh, Aboriginal breastplates or king plates, which were often used by colonial governors to to issue power or um, status, um, and and so you've you've sort of repurposed the glow mesh and that the shape of those breastplates, I guess, in a, a gesture from the past to the present, repurposing them. I, I see them as these these uh, incredible capes, but also armor in a way yeah so i think um you know armor amore i like to say because it's that, like that chain mail you <laughs> know because you, you get the yeah. you know those old um you know those big armor suits and they're all made of chain mail <laughs> yeah yeah they, these kind of have that sort of power to them because king plates were um awarded if you like it's it's really icky territory because okay. sometimes the, the the king plates or breastplates were embraced by community sometimes they were not sometimes they were they were given to the wrong person you know so sometimes it created issues but in any case they were all men and these 
these sort of giant pieces of, of glow mesh and foam mesh, so these, these giant plates are like, you know, like to jewellery, mm. kind of have a, a potential genderedness, a, a switch of gender to them because the place names could also sound like, like names of, of, of queens, drag queens. Some of them are mm. also the name of drag queens. So, you know, Acacia Ridge and Sandy Hollow or um, Cherry Brook, Bella Vista, Sandy Gully, you know, they're lovely provocative names that were already dragged in the first place mm. because they were dragged from Europe and North America mm. and inserted upon locations in Australia on Aboriginal land. Yeah. And of course those places have all kind of grown to have their own unique and developed and sometimes, you know, quite amazing culture. But in any case, they kind of started from drag. Um, you know, if, even, you know, museums in Australia started from a, a drag in the first place mm. because, you know, the first museum was a, or the, you know, art museum was um, replicas of Greek and Italian statues. Uh, so, so that drag history is totally Australia for me. So I, I, it gives me so much material to be able to, to, be able to, um, to transform and translate or, and re, repurpose and reignite. You're always such a wordsmith and, and the, a play on words is, is something that, that you do very uh, brilliantly and very purposefully, whether that's you know, through the queering of something or the dragging of something, but also uh, connects to your, you know, you're an avid collector and you also you talk about your time in thrift stores as a, as a repository of popular culture and, and, a, and a great place for finding community, but, um, but also music and a great love of music and lyrics. And sometimes you've dragged those into your work as well. And I'm particularly thinking about the third body of work that you've made for this exhibition, which is called Tell Them They're Dreaming. Yes, yeah, so, so Tell Them They're Dreaming, it, it is a, a, a mix I think it's I guess, great. Of of um, you know of references, so it has you know music references, but it also has cinematic reference. Well, a particular cinematic reference to the um, castle. To the castle, yes, yes. So so, so there are um, uh, nineteen works in the series that are on display at the moment, and each of them are from a so a, a dreaming songline from popular um, popular cultural songs. So there's a, there's a Fleetwood Mac, there's a, a Rat Cat. Um, Master's Apprentices, Paul Kelly, Kylie Minogue, ABBA. Actually, the ABBA one is super interesting because it's um, I Have a Dream, a Song to Sing. And, of course, even that one can segue into other moments of, of culture. So, you know, I Have a Dream is, um, you know, obviously Martin Luther King. And, you know, so incredibly, um, you know, um, powerful and, you know, culturally significant and inspiring and hopeful and it continues to be well beyond the, the 1960s. And I guess also the idea of even being a fan of music from all over the world is also in some ways de-stereotypes, if you like, what the experiences of individuals are. Because just because somebody is an Aboriginal person doesn't mean that they, they don't have knowledge and exposure to, to you know, other, other things that are happening in the world in popular culture. So, uh, you know, I do hope that my work does break, you know, I, I know all of us break down stereotypes, but you know, it's, um, and sometimes I love stereotypes too. I like all types of, all types, including stereos, I often say. <laughs> but yeah, just even on that simple level, I mean, there's, pe people ca can be as complex as, as the world is. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I, I certainly am 
that kind of person, I think, and, and certainly the things that I'm um, attracted to in terms of culture and things I, I love to experience. There's a whole wide world out there. I hope I navigate it respectfully. And I also have kind of got to this point that I, I don't just appreciate and comment on culture, I also make it. And it was a kind of a, a seems an obvious thing to realize, but it's really only been recently that I've thought, actually, hang on a minute, I can, I create culture, I don't just, I don't only comment on it, and that's, that's fine, you don't have to do either or, but I didn't acknowledge that I also do that, and that gave me a greater sense of pride and purpose. So I suppose that is kind of a, a recent realization that I, I had, and it was through this, through this journey of, of having the, being privileged to have a, um, the Guildhouse Fellowship, you know, it, yeah, it opened up my own mind about my own self. Well, I think it's, you know, an incredible, generous and generative journey that you've been on and you know, the idea of not just remaking but making culture and, you know, your, your works really, you know, embody that in, in so many ways. So I think that's such a poetic and um, appropriate moment to, to, to wrap up on and just to say, you know, thank you and congratulations on such a wonderful exhibition and for going to these places and, and doing the work that you do. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been such a, a great experience and the, the learnings I've, I've got from you has really been quite remarkable. And, and also to, you know, to everyone else and other organisations who, who, in a either indirectly or directly, there's, there's been a form of collaboration and I, I really value and cherish all of that and, and I hope to keep giving it back and, you know, keep sharing the love and the learning, you know, as much as what I can. So, so thank you indeed. Thank you, Troy.